You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of Take About Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and oh my goodness, 49, okay, I can't even, next week is the big week, big number 5-0, it's our one year anniversary next week, I'm so excited for it, it's gonna be a great episode, but this one's already long enough, so I'm just gonna get right into it. On this week's segment of Tasting the Opening of Broadway, uh, they're like teasing us, I swear, there's like a new thing every week. Mary Poppins and Hamilton have announced their plans and their date of reopening in the West End. And they're both opening in August. So, hmm, what does that mean for Broadway? Uh, I know the West End and Broadway work pretty closely together. They've kind of like based each other's, you know, whole uh, environment and everything off of each other. Um, So it'll be interesting. And speaking of basing things off each other, like since that... Six put out a post on social media saying that they will be revealing their information about a return date and protocol safety plan really, really shortly. So they said like within the next coming weeks, and they said that like, if you um, sign up to be a part of this like VIP queendom family uh, on their website, you will be the first to hear the information. So some exciting things to think about, and hopefully that Broadway is coming back and so let's talk about what's happened this week the oscars happened on sunday and honestly i don't understand like i found it to be rather enjoying uh the night itself is like receiving a bit of backlash from like the media and even like my friends who like i've talked to about it and they've all like had things to say about it and you know, I just really enjoyed it. I mean, we got new looks of West Side Story, the the film, and the In the Heights film. Uh, they played a game guessing, like, which of the songs were nominated er, for an Oscar, if they won an Oscar, or none of the above, that Glenn Close absolutely stole. So overall, like, I found it to be really enjoyable. And I just wish I had watched the movies, uh, like, all of them before watching the Oscars because I wasn't really, really sure which to root for because I had only seen a couple of them. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. But if you're listening to this, like... I would love to hear all your opinions on either like Patreon or social media, on like the Take About Podcast Instagram, like whatever, because I've been really curious to hear what people have had to say, uh, because I literally like sometimes I usually just have it on in the background, but like 
I had it on the background and just like found myself just watching it and kind of getting distracted in it because I found it so enjoyable. Um, maybe that's just me. Something else I found really enjoyable this past week was uh, Friday. We were blessed <laughs> with some more music by Sir Ben Platt. Uh, he has a new EP out called Imagine. And I mean, I've only listened to this song like 8,000 times on repeat. So like, I really don't know much about it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm obsessed with this song. I'm obsessed with like the words, of course. You know, his words are like masterful. Like the way he is able to tell stories with not only the emotion, but his words that he writes is so beautiful. Um, it was interesting to hear this one because it's completely different from his album, Sing to Me Instead. It's kind of more like, like I feel like Rain, another EP of his, is like an in-between of the two. And then Imagine just like pushed the pop scale even further. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. I loved it. I've, like I said, listened to it a thousand times uh, on repeat, of course. And for anyone who hasn't listened to it yet, I highly recommend listening to Imagine by Ben Platt. So in light of keeping everything short, that's going to be it for like the news this week. Uh, but I do want to mention because I know not all of you stay until after the interview, which is like, it's fine. It's whatever. There's some like fun things that happened afterwards, but I'm not salty about it. <laughs> um, but I do want to mention because I found this so important. So I was like, I'll do it at the beginning. This week on Tuesday, May 4th, at 7.30, our favorite Broadway stars are joining forces to honor Rebecca Luker and raise money for ALS research. Now, this event is so, so important for everyone to attend. It's obviously raising money for ALS, and she is absolutely someone that we should all be honoring. Uh, one night is not enough, but I'm excited for this uh, event as tickets start at $20 and the people in it will be Kelly O'Hara, Kristen Chenoweth, Santino Fontana, Laura Benanti, Judy Kuhn, Michael Cerveris, Norm Lewis, Tam Mutu, Howard McGillan, Sierra Bogus, Victoria Clark, all of these. Oh, oh my God, Victoria Clark. We mentioned her in the interview today. And like we mentioned, Judy Kuhn, Michael Cerveris, Kelly O'Hara, all past uh, take a bow guest. So not only are we honoring this amazing light that the Broadway community was blessed with, but we are also going to be hearing songs and stories uh, from our favorite Broadway stars. So I definitely encourage you to check that out. It's on May 4th, 7.30. That's on this coming Tuesday. So please, please, please go check it out. It's only $20 and it's going to be a, a, such an enjoyable night to remember. And with that being said, let's turn it over to the Drama Dictionary. And don't worry, everyone. My old man is here, so you will not be hearing about any showmances this week. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way, uh, John Bolton is our guest this week. He is incredible. He played my dad in A Christmas Story, but he was also in Anastasia, in the Titanic, and all of these amazing musical. Uh, he's literally been in nine Broadway shows, okay? Like, that's insane. Uh, and we talk all about that. So we have an exciting guest. But something also that we talk about this week that I would love for you all to learn before the interview, the term breaking the fourth wall. And what that is, is like, so in theater, there's like 
many unwritten rules that you kind of just like know like when and you learn quickly in the theater and i and i'll obviously like teach you all through like these drama dictionaries and stuff but this week's breaking the fourth wall what that means is looking into the audience and basically like staring at them like while you do it and so like like really interacting with the audience during a performance is breaking the quote unquote fourth wall. So obviously like we have a wall to our right, we have a wall to our left, we have a wall upstage. So like behind us and like when we're facing the fourth wall, we're supposed to just be like looking out and like up to like the space really (laughs) just so that everyone can see us. But like breaking the fourth wall is like interacting with like the people like right in front of you and like people that you can like actually see and work off of. And in a Christmas story, John Bolton actually does that a few times. And there are there are many shows that like they allow their performers to break the fourth wall. Um, but at the same time, like when you're not told that you're allowed to, it's like not okay if you do. And I don't know how that started or what. So that's why if you notice, like when you, if you've ever had as an audience member, an experience of an actor kind of playing off you during a scene, it's more in a scene where it's just like about having fun and it doesn't do too much for the story itself of the show. And it's kind of just like one of those fillers. So like in the entre-acts and the stuff like that. And like, for instance, we talk about John Bolton when he does it, it was totally like a filler thing to like tell jokes while other people change. So um, that's what breaking the fourth wall is. So with that being said, you will have all the information that you need to know for this week's interview with Sir John Bolton. And he is fantastic. So let's just turn it over to him. John Bolton, curtain up. Well, everyone, this week, I got to be on my best behavior because my old man is in the house. He is a multi-award nominated triple threat. He's a veteran of nine Broadway shows. He's the best show dad you could ask for and one of Broadway's biggest goofballs. So everybody, welcome to Take a Bow, John Bolton. Hello, sir. How are you, young man? Oh, my goodness. I am so good. I'm so happy to be here with you this week. It's funny because last Last week, I had a story about my showmances during a Christmas story, and I was like, can't do that with my old man on the podcast. It was great that we did it the week before. Oh, my God. Well, I wasn't aware of the the romantic intrigues that were going on backstage, so uh, there were heartbreaker. You were a heartbreaker. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, when you put a bunch of kids in the same room together for like the first time and we're all coming from different parts of the world, something's bound to happen, yep. you know, all these like crazy no things happening. Nothing too serious happened. I can assure that, but there was some <laughs> crushes going on in the cast. Good. So let's talk about what kind of got you into theater. Like what introduced you to the theater and why did you start like wanting to do it? Oh gosh. Um. Well, I would watch like movie musicals or whatever, or just see groups of kids performing on TV. Like there was a show called Zoom that was on when I was a kid Uh and which was a bunch of kids running around. 
and singing and doing science experiments and stuff. And I thought it was cool. And like there was a version of the Mickey Mouse Club in the 70s that I thought was so cool because they were this really diverse group of kids that were singing and dancing their faces <laughs> off. And I just thought it was just so cool to be part of a team like that. I played team sports, yeah. you know, Little League was okay. And um, the obligatory Little League and uh, um, played soccer and, and, uh, and stuff. And I loved the team aspect of it. And I would look at these big groups of kids performing and just go, that's a team. That's a team I want to be on, that team. And when I was a kid, my parents took me to – so we would go to New York to see shows once a year, and which I was very lucky to get to do. And uh, one year we saw Annie, and there were six, seven kids on stage. And yeah, I didn't care they were all girls. I was like, those kids are my age, and they look like they're having the best time ever. I want to do that. So I wrote to the director and I said, there should be boy orphans in Annie. Oh my God. I did not. Hear <laughs> <laughs> I said, there should be boy orphans. And I figured out how to change. I even rewrote the lyrics to Miss Hannigan's song, Little Girls, okay. to make it include little kids. And I had Rye said, here's how we fix it. <laughs> so I was like trying to direct, you know, this director from Rochester, New York, when I was 11. I would just see, yeah kids performing and just think that was a, a fun team to be on grew up in a sports kind of household yep. and that was my big brother's thing both my big brothers and uh it was just sort of assumed that i would do it and they were both great so it was like this huge huge shoes to fill and slowly <laughs> but surely i just found theater that no these are these will be my shoes my my gold tap shoes to fill and uh, did school plays and uh never never ever thought i would do it professionally, just sort of wanted to be involved somehow. And I have a degree in journalism. I went to a college in Rochester, New York, my hometown, and studied, have a degree in BA in journalism. And then it was during college that I started to get paid a little bit because there were some professional and semi-pro theaters in Rochester. Oh. Just the more, more I did, the more I did. And I had my toe in the water, foot in the water, leg in the water. All of a sudden, it's 30 years later and I'm in New York. Yes. Well, that's beautiful. What an amazing story. And I think, you know, you there's a future here in writing, maybe once you retire. Because I feel like we need this, like, new Annie spinoff. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, I, I love to write. I'm sort of falling out of shape a bit. But I will say the um, the pandemic, I've been kind of sitting down and writing a little bit more. Will there be a tell-all? I don't know who the heck would want to read it, but uh, there will be someday and names will be named. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. That's hilarious. And so you're talking about, you know, like you are totally like a sports oriented dude who like grew up and then wanted to try this out. And sure enough, I mean, it's crazy how the world works. You made your Broadway debut and Damn Yankees, which is one of the only, like, sports musicals, like, I don't know, like, musicals that are related to sports. Exactly. So, like, what was it able to not only, like, step foot on a Broadway stage for the first time, but also do it in, like, a way that totally made sense with you in this sports-oriented world? Yeah, Damn Yankees is a great show. I always used to say it's a great dad show. I'm yeah. so proud when my dad, who coached really, you know, got to see me finally not suck on a team. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I know. Right. Um, but yeah, what was it like to, well, I was a replacement in the show. And so I, they, and the show was already running obviously. And so I would stand in the back and watch the show and follow the track that I was going into with my eyes and take notes and then I'd have rehearsal, 
you know, just not for long, for about 10 days, not even maybe, with uh, the dance captain, the amazing Cynthia Anrubia, and our wonderful music director, who is the great David Chase. These are like Broadway oh. legends. And it was just us at this tiny little rehearsal room. And then I had one put-in rehearsal, which is where the rest of the cast shows up on a Friday in their street clothes. There's you <laughs> and your costume, all eager to be your, you know, make your Broadway debut. And they're just like dragged in for rehearsal and they're just over it. Um, and you get that one chance to go through it. And then uh, the following Tuesday was the beginning of my first week. And that, that night I went on having not done it since the previous Friday, but I knew my stuff. I'd been, I'd been taught well, um, meaning by Cynthia and David and the stage manager, Mo Gibson, and of course, director Jack O'Brien, choreographer Rob Marshall, just legends that I was thrilled to be. In the oh my gosh. And the guys on the team were helpful and, and stuff. And I just remember the curtain call coming down. I'd forbidden any friends from seeing me. I was like, it's my first show. Don't you dare come. Because I want to be, you know, really? I, I wanted to do a good job. And my parents were coming the following week. And I just, I just wanted to get the first one out of the way. I think if I'd rehearsed the show all along and opened the show, it's different when you're a replacement. You kind of are literally just sort of thrown in and right. you just want to sort of do no harm your first first few shows or first week, like an understudy or a, a swing. You know, you just want to get on, do your job and do no harm, you know. Mm -hmm. So I forbid anyone from seeing it. And then uh, after the first few shows, I was like, all right, bring it. But I remember the curtain call that first night and having no one in the audience just smiling to myself, just going, I worked hard for this. I, and I knew I did. And I also, I knew I worked hard for it and in some way deserved it because I'd worked so hard. But I also knew more importantly, that I was freaking lucky to be there. And that, mm. you know, cause I, far as I knew it could have been my only Broadway show. And, you know, I would have been fine with that, you know, just do one Broadway show and then move on, you know, maybe do something else. Cause it's such a hard Right. Business. But it was a fun show. That show was a freaking blast. To this day, one of the most fun shows I've ever gotten to do in my life. That's awesome. Because, okay, I can't, first of all, I can't believe that no one was at your Broadway debut. You know, you have one Broadway debut and you did not allow anyone. I mean, that's good for you. And just like the, you talking about just how you kind of took that at, at your curtain call was just. That's so cool. And I love hearing that. So you've been hopping around from like show to show consistently for the last like two decades. And that started with the transition from Dan Yankees to how to succeed. And that, okay, you talked about so many legends already. Your resume is not short of like legendary people that you've worked with. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, I mean, that had to succeed in business like Victoria Clark and Matthew Broderick and all of these crazy things. Like, I was like, holy cow. So, being fairly new to like the business, what was it like to like yet again step into another show and learn under a guy like Matthew Broderick and then? go on to be his successor. Ha. Huh. Well, Matthew's the greatest guy and he and I share a love of uh, um, sensible amounts of bourbon. Yes. So um, uh, <laughs> it's such a pleasure to get to, to work with him and that entire cast, the entire cast, you know, Victoria, Luba, Lilius, Jeff. I mean, just, just great yes. people and all the replacements were great. Um, yeah, I joined the company as they had just opened 
And I left Damn Yankees literally the week before they closed. And I think I pissed them off a little bit because they're like, really? Yeah. Can't you just hang out for one more week? <laughs> but How to Succeed um, needed me. They had just opened. They were hit. They wanted, they had an understudy for Matthew, but they wanted to add one because, sure. you know, it's in the long run. The lead needs two covers and let's, let's do it. And I covered a, a couple other roles. Jeff Blumenkrantz was Bud Frump and a couple of the sort of more acty, heavy ensemble tracks I covered as well. And then one of those ensemble tracks left almost right away. Oh, wow. And so I was like, um, I would much rather come to the show and own a small part of it, meaning have that small ensemble, that good, fun little ensemble track, then just sit there and wait to go on for the lead. And they were like, really? I said, yes. It's so mm -hmm. hard to go to work at a theater and not go on. Not that you're like, I've got to shine or whatever. Yeah. It's just like you kind of emotionally have to get ready. And I was a standby at Spam a lot. And I was a standby at a show called Contact, both of which won um, Best Musical. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm proud of those. And I was on all the time, but it was hard to go to work every night and not always go on, you know, just sort of just to, from an emotion yeah. just to get to sort of be ready. And I remember one of the dancers in contact walking by me one night and going, yeah, don't work too hard tonight. And I was like, you know what? I wanted to say, first of all, he's amazing, but I wanted to say, you know what? <clears throat> it is so hard yeah. to do this right now, but back to how to succeed. What a great show. Just so well-written. Another just golden age classic that you could just step into at any time. There's, the script is tight. The score is perfect. And just to live inside a well-written show like that for another year was great. And um, I learned Matthew's part. And yeah, I got to go on a bunch and then took over for a chunk when he was shooting The Cable Guy, which will tell you oh my how long ago this was, Eli. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was shooting Cable Guy. It ran long. And so, well, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bolton will be playing the role for a while. Uh, and I, wow. I had the best time. But I remember my first time on in that. I was terrified. But I also knew I'd been well rehearsed. And I thought, okay, no, I can do this. And um, yeah, my first performance in that role was maybe one of my best because I just was like, failing is not an option. You know this part. Yeah. Just go do it. And something takes over and you just do it. Because you have to. I love. Was did you invite anyone to that performance? Uh, yes, uh, because when <laughs> I went on, I wasn't. I didn't know that I'd be doing this whole chunk later, uh -huh. um, and I didn't know if it was a one-off because um, uh, it was John Stamos when I went on for the first time. No way. Back, and I remember the audience. It, he was it. Okay, he was either late or sick at the last minute. So there wasn't time, Eli, to get the stuffers in the program. So this entire audience that's there to see Uncle Jesse <laughs> at a matinee oh, no. finds out at, ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please, at this afternoon's oh, performance. No. And you're just hoping, oh, God, please, 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 God. And, of course, <laughs> they announce, and there's this huge groan. <laughs> and my character start, the J. Pierpont Pinch, starts – over the audience, I mean, unseen, but you're going to fly in on this rickety little window washer thing. So I'm literally, like, if you look up, you can see my feet. And they're all groaning at me. Mm -hmm. But I, um, I just, I prayed to every dead relative I had that yes. I could just get through it. <laughs> and I remember seeing actually Vicki Clark in the wings right before I went on. And she looked up at me and gave me a big thumbs up and blew me a kiss. And I just love that woman so much. And I got strength from that. And the whole cast just supported me. And of course, oh. the material was great. And you just ride it. You just get out there and you ride that wave if you know what you're doing. And I got through it and it was so such a such a 
uh, pleasure. And you stole the show. I wouldn't say I stole the show. You stole it. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, here's this. The part is sort of written to. If you're playing J. Pierpont Finch and you don't steal the show, you're doing something wrong. You're right. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I'm sure audiences weren't too bummed out after your performance saying, I, oh, man. They were very kind. <laughs> yes, that's great. That's You love that. Yeah. And then... Oh my God. We can't talk about like all of your Broadway shows because there's too many and too little time, but you, you then do Titanic and that's at a theater that I, I know uh, obviously from doing Finding Neverland. And every time that like, I'm reminded that Titanic was a musical, I'm just like blown away because I know like granted the Lump Fontaine is one of the bigger Broadway theaters, but it's still really small. So I'm still like blown away that there was ever a production of the Titanic in the Lump Fontaine Theater. What was the process like in like creating the Titanic on a stage? It, you know, like this historical revolutionary movie that is so popular and then bringing it to the stage. Well, when we did it, the film had not come out yet. Uh, it came out a year after oh, we really? opened and we got actually a bit of a boost from it. And then after about six months of the film being out, everyone was all of a sudden sick of the film because it was everything was Titanic, Titanic, Titanic. And the tourists started right. to think that we were a version of the film. And they started to say a year and a half after we opened and won five Tonys, they started to say, where's that yeah. song? Where's Rose? Where's Jack? And we're like, actually, we're like, we're real Titanic yes. <laughs> or whatever. But so when we opened the film, it had not come out yet. But yeah, it was cool. Wow, we we played real people and who most we all did our research. It was an amazing company. We rehearsed a very long time uh, at 890 Broadway, mm. um, legendary rehearsal space where the, if the walls could talk, it would be a, your best class in musical theater you could ever take. But we never did not. We did not try out out of town because the show was too expensive set wise to do out of town you can't oh. go to buffalo and gut the theater just so you can sink the ship for a few weeks right you know so um we we sort of tried out cold in new york and opened we uh, preview from previews to opening huge huge changes were made uh, entire songs changed entire scenes changed characters were cut characters were written oh my god and and to, but the only thing that didn't change from the from our first preview to opening night was the entire 17 minute opening sequence cuz at our first preview <laughs> we did that amazing listen to it it's thrilling thrilling music by the great Maury Esten, and uh, that did not change at all because that brought down the house, our first preview. And when the audience was clapping for that, we thought, oh, we're in, this is it. But then the rest of the show happened, and the rest of the show, we hadn't even finished teching Act 2, Eli. We had not teched oh, no. Act 2 when we started previews. We canceled our first for, for a few previews because we weren't ready. And um, we had to stop the show on several occasions. And on some nights, we even had to send the audience home. No Still way. previews, or like early previews. We had to send the audience home. Well, folks, sorry, that's it. We can't finish the show because we can't get the ship to sink, literally, or the ship to come up or, or anything. Wow. And this would be like mid-act two. So they weren't totally screwed, but it didn't do much for our reputation sure. on the street. And then miracles happened and a great new finale sequence went in, a great new lifeboat sequence went in and all of a sudden people got behind us and the show just did a, did a, a 180 and, and there we were uh, on, and won five Tonys and sort of became a snob hit. 
and ran for a little over two years. And just such a pleasure. Great, great company. And um... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, one thing I want to say about the Lunt Fontaine, since you have worked there, um, it seats about 1,520 people, 1,522, I think. My character, Officer Lightoller, who played this, I was the senior surviving officer. So at the end of the show, the survivors come out and kind of list things that happen afterward. And I say, looking out at the full, most usually full, Lunt Fontaine Theater, uh, 1,517 souls lost their lives. Eli, I was looking at within five people, the exact number of people who died. And every single night with a full house, you just look out at that theater and go, you all died. Wow. Like this, this is that huge theater, that huge tall balcony. It's like, this is who didn't make it. And let me tell you, that was pretty, um, that was pretty uh, sobering. But the music was, glorious and it was a thrill to sing and and again a, the great one of the greatest companies i've ever worked with oh my god you just you just gave me chills oh my god that's oh my god i could not imagine just the emotions going on just while you're performing and then during that part in particular oh my god that's it's insane i mean good for you guys because i mean it's no easy feat to run for two years no. on Broadway. And when emo- I mean, emotions are high. It's very difficult. I found it challenging. A bunch of us found it challenging in that about a year into yeah. the run, you can't always cough up Sturm and Drang, you know, you, the, 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 right. and the crying and the screaming, which was only the last chunk of the show, but it was, you know, a pretty important chunk. And what happens is you start to laugh. And because you've yeah. made filthy lyrics with the entire rest of the cast back in the dressing rooms, and all of a sudden right. your focus is waning a bit. And especially in a show like Les Mis or Miss Saigon or Titanic, where emotions are so high for such a chunk of the show, it is so hard not, yeah. I mean, to not break character and just laugh because. Sometimes you're not always willing to go to that dark place or not always able to go to that dark place. Yeah, I mean, to do that eight times a week, that's a lot. Ugh, exhausting, but so fulfilling. What you have to do in the long run is just dive in. You're, you have to remember, I've had to really sort of slap myself in the face and remind myself, people are paying, a, first of all, a lot of money to see you. And it's a lot of people's first Broadway show, you know? A, right. Sad fact, could be some people's last Broadway show that they're watching. So you want to... You owe those people your best. Get out there and represent New York, represent Broadway, and go be your best. Don't get out there and screw around. I've been guilty of that. And sure, crazy things happen (laughs) some nights. 
sometimes things happen and you're going to break and the audience loves it and it's special. But if you are ever in a position where you're trying to make that happen or you're just, you know, not in it, you shouldn't be on Broadway. <laughs> right. Wow. Wise words from John Bolton, everybody. We're being blessed. I learned today. the hard way because I've gotten in trouble for it. I've gotten in trouble for, yeah. for um, laughing on Broadway, but I've also been lucky enough to be in some really long runs. And when you're on performance number 800, and you've been just joking like crazy with someone else. And all of a sudden you have to go on stage and be serious. Oh boy. It's hard. Right. It's, it's hard, but you do it because you're a professional and this is what you're paid to do. And you do it. That is right. Was Titanic your first like original Broadway cast? Was. was that the first show you opened? It was the first show I actually opened. Yeah. I actually got to be part of the night. I will say damn Yankees. We, we did an unusual thing in that we closed for two months to rehearse. Uh-huh. Um, the great Jerry Lewis came in as a replacement for Victor Garber. And because of his schedule, uh, they oh just God. decided to close the show for January and February, which are sort of the doldrums months anyway. Um, and so uh, I went to Florida and hung out knowing nothing's better than knowing you've got a good job coming up. But uh, And then, you know, we reopened <laughs> and had a reopening night with new reviews. And so I did get a version of an opening night with Dan Yankees. Oh, wow. But yeah, in terms of the original Broadway cast, Titanic was the first of uh, – first of. What a way to start. I mean, just because the way that you've talked about, like with the previews and how like things were not going so hot and then to just experience a 180. That's like, yeah, but that's what's like so special and so fun about Broadway is just being a part of the developmental processes, I think personally, and seeing how it all comes to be and seeing all the rewrites and what works and what doesn't just seeing how everyone's mind is working. And as you've mentioned before, as a team, you can really see how they come together. It's incredible. I love yeah. that. And what a special like first experience in opening a Broadway show. Not many are yeah. like that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was insane. But what you, what you have to do with all these changes and because it changes in, inevitably in, involve cuts of some sort you can never take the cuts personally it's not that you went out and failed or you this isn't where you only see your little arc the director the producers they see the overall arc and so what i've also had to learn unfortunately is uh, don't go home and don't don't cry in the theater about your cuts cry at home about them and know that it wasn't you didn't do anything wrong it's just for the best of the show right Totally. You got to be a team player. That's right. Come on, John. Um, okay. Well, let's turn it over because I would be remiss in not talking about A Christmas Story and my amazing time with you. I have so many things that I want to talk about. Um, okay. That This is obviously the show that we shared together. He was my old man and I played Ralphie at certain performances with Sydney Lucas's brother, Jake Lucas, who and Sydney used to co-host with this podcast with me. Oh, so he loves that yeah, whole family as well. Right? They're great. They're the best. His family in the world, yeah. Yeah. So you had already done a production you've already done a few productions before four, four. years, Carol. I did four years of that show before you came in. Yeah. Four years before I came in. Yeah. Oh my God. I did not realize that. We did it at Kansas City Rep one year, and uh, someone came and said, let me throw a bunch of money at this. And Jerry Gehring, the lead wow. producer, saw it at Kansas City Rep and threw in money. And then they completely overhauled the show in Seattle at the Fifth Avenue Theater, which has sent a lot of shows to Broadway, mm-hmm. um, the next year. Uh, and that was when we got Benj Pasek and Justin Paul writing what would be their very oh my first Broadway score. Um, 
and uh, the show was overhauled there. And then we took it on tour the next year um, where Rachel Bay Jones was my wife. And we had a, a terrific cast. Yeah. And, uh, John Rando now directing and Warren Carlyle now choreographing. And then the following year, they were like, let's put it on Broadway. So we did it on Broadway at the Lunt Fontan Theater, where I tried not to think about 1,500 drowning people every night. Right. Oh my God. PTSD. Yeah. No, it was fine because they'd redone the theater. So I was fine. And now this time I was in the star dressing room, so I didn't care. So yes. um, Yeah. And then the next year we did a mini tour when I got to meet you Eli, and uh, Jake Lucas. And we did it at Madison Square Garden, this uh, huge huge theater. And I was worried it wasn't going to work there. And it oddly did. Oddly, the audience went nuts for it there, you know. But it was hard having so many kids, kids over the years who you get attached to your, these kids playing your sons. And as you know, the, the mom and dad and Ralphie and Randy, we have a lot to do in that show. And we have a lot to yeah. together. And it's not just running around being crazy. There's some like, you know, family affection moments there. And uh, this crazy old man trying to understand his kids and vice versa. And of course, the mom holding it all together with everything she's got. But it was hard mm. having new kids every year. It's like, oh God, we got to train new ones, right? You know? Oh no, hold for daddy's laugh, you know. And you try not to be yeah. a dick about it. I really tried not to be a jerk about it, and 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 to let each of you bring. I hope what you could bring to the show, and not be so married to. There's a bit here, or there's a bit here that we do, and some of those bits work. And then other ones, it's like, well, let's let's see what our bits are. Let's let's come up with our stuff. And I remember having different versions of the show, different versions of the change the tire scene. Oh no, Eli's on. Eli, this is when Eli's on. We do this, and this really yeah. really works like a charm. And then when Jake's on, we do this, which also works like a charm, but it's completely different. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Totally. Well, I want to ask, like, what kind of like kept you coming back to the show? I mean, you did it so many times. I felt a bit of ownership with that part. The idea of yeah. someone else. Pl- well, first of all, they paid me, Eli. They paid me a lot of money. Yeah. To do it. So I was like, okay, I'll ride this Christmas horse as long as I can. And it was only three months a year. So it wasn't like I was doing it five years all day, every day for five years. It was only three months a year. And I would say I did other work in between television and, and shorter theater gigs. But- um, no, I was proud to do it, and I was proud to claim ownership on that role in in some way. And I was proud of what we came up with. You know, it's a very obviously very famous property um, that everyone knows the movie. Yeah. And you want to honor the movie. You want to get out there and honor it and give them what they came for. But you can't just, and you know this, you can't just go out there and imitate it because you won't be right. giving you, Eli, as an actor – the benefit of the doubt here. You won't be allowing you to find who your Ralphie is. You'll be doing your version of Peter Billingsley's Ralphie. And what's the point of that? Because all they'll do mm-hmm. then is look at you and go, you're not Peter Billingsley. But if you go out there like you did and like Jake did and all our wonderful kids have done is go out there and be you. Yeah. Then, you know, and this is what our amazing director, uh, directors, you know, over the years uh, encouraged always in the young actors. And it was really, really exciting to watch you all just, find your laughs and and yeah and and the heart was always there as well but watching that little ding go off in your brain when you knew where that laugh was and you went and you sniffed it out just knowing 
<laughs> do you remember the part where you guys go, did not, did two, did not, did two, did not, did two, and you just did it forever? And I was like, right. you guys, just keep going. You're going to say yeah. it. Trust me. Try, and, you, and you poor kids just stood there forever going, did not, did two, did not, did two. But I was like, trust me, they're going to laugh three times. And it's and yeah. it's going to get bigger every time. The fact that right. it's going on and on. Yeah, because then you have to interrupt us, so we just have to keep going until you just like shut us yeah. up, right? And the fact is, oh the God. fact that you guys just keep going. Every parent in the theater knows that this is what parent is. <laughs> you know, every kid in the theater yeah. is like, "I do this. This is hilarious." The show was just so well written. <laughs> Another well written show, oh. and there was a lot of heart to it. So well directed. So well written. That beautiful score. My beautiful wife, Erin Dilley. Yes. I'm so in love with Erin Dilley forever. Yes. Every year we wish each other Merry Christmas. I can't have Christmas without Erin Dilley. Um, or any of the other That's, wonderful- Do you have Chinese food? <laughs> uh, not on Christmas. Not on Christmas, we don't. Not on Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Who was, who, you mentioned that like you were with the show before Benj and Justin had even come on. So like- First of all, this is ancient history and I'm in my 50s. So I- can't remember. Right. I can remember every single thing I learned before I was thirty is locked in my brain forever. But amazing, I'm terrible with names, and I only worked with him the one year. I believe his name was Mr. Richards, and he wrote a beautiful score. It was very mm. jazz influenced. Oh, um, uh, not a lot of hummable like Christmas toe tappy, and I think, sure. but it was an extremely intelligent score. Um, uh, in a different way that, of course, Benjamin Justin's score is brilliant in every in every way, um, and and perhaps more suited to the tone of the piece than the original author's was. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Was was Major Award in in it before? Oh, of course. Ben and Justin it was a different. Oh. Okay. I said, okay. I said the words Major Award many times, and I ran around the stage like a madman. Uh, oh my god! There was there. Most of the song moments were the same song moments, like mom still sang okay. a song here and I still had the major award moment. And there was still a figuring out the puzzle song and there was still a tongue on the flagpole song and and, and I want a BB gun song. You know what I mean? So the, the song slots were the same, but they were different. I'd actually love to hear them. Um, to, to Yeah. Yeah. Our first Ralphie was the great Zachary Sale who's gone on to do a bunch, oh. a bunch of great stuff. Oh, he was just terrific. And it would be so hard to watch the kids grow over the years. I know. Their, their hearts break that they can't continue with this. Um, you know, and a lot of the parents didn't take it so well. I'll tell you that. It's like, oh, right. your child is now six feet tall and cannot, <laughs> can't play a 10 year old any longer. But um, right. yeah, that was, it was hard to see. But, you know, by the, by the time we got to Broadway, Every single role, I was the only, I was the last guy left. That was the only guy left wow. from, from the first production. And it was literally like every role was at least four ghosts thick. You know, I can name four wow. people um, for every single that person that played every part that we did. But that has to be so fun. Like like you mentioned before, just finding your new parts and new your yeah. new chemistry and how the show changes, even though like obviously the script and everything changes as well, but also like every actor brings something new. So you have to like find, you know, you react differently so to what they're, how they're portraying their role. So and that that's is so gotta be so fun. Do. So important to do. Everybody's different. Just embrace that. You are the only mm -hmm. Eli there is. 
I am the only John there is, John Bolton. There. You know, it's like, let's just be you. Don't go out and be someone else. Just be you. Right. You know? Right. Totally. So you had one of my favorite parts of the entire show was you had this moment where you just got to break every rule in the theater and you got to break the fourth wall. And and you were able to tell all of these brilliant jokes. And I wanted to ask, like, I've literally always wanted to ask you, like, even during Christmas Story, were those jokes that you wrote or were they given to you or did you improv them? Like, what was that? Um, Well, our the book writer was the great Joseph Robinette, who did a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful adaptation of the show. So much heart uh, in that. But that moment came out of necessity. It's like Bolton, you got to fill. The chorus needs to change their clothes right. into like from the neighbors into glitzy leg lamp people. You know what I mean? And right. they were like, Phil, just say something. I don't know. Just be goofy. You be goofy. And so, yes, I, I came up with a bunch of materials, so to speak. I'm keeping that word in quotes um, that based on the audience, I didn't know exactly which one I would, which routine I would do. I had one about a teacher. I had one that was kind of crude about how Cleveland street got its name that direct. And and Joe Robinette, of course, he's the book writer, the Tony nominated book writer of the show. His opinion counts when he comes to you and says, uh, yeah, I think that one's a little crude. Let's not okay. whatever. I mean, you have to honor that. He's the script writer of the show. You Absolutely. Screw you. I'm going to say my thing. But um, yeah, with with his um, with his approval and with John Rando sort of pointing me toward what was working and what John Rando, John Rando, of course, being our director, uh, pointing me toward right. what was working nicely and maybe what we should move go through quickly. Um, uh, yeah, I came up with most of that. 90% of it myself. I would I change love the that. name of my teacher uh, every show. And if someone, it got to the point where if someone had, someone in the cast or crew had friends in the audience, said, will you make the teacher Mrs. Blank tonight? And this would be the last name of whoever. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah. God, I love oh my God. But, but I'll tell you what, the ensemble got their clothes changed. Clothes changed. They sure did. Yeah. And it was hilarious because I figured that they were improvised because every night everyone would either be like just making their entrance or people would be able to get like water, maybe a snag. <laughs> Sometimes they just went Watch on forever. West Wing in the wing. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's so funny. And I can't believe that you didn't mention your socks joke because that was like one of the biggest ones. Um, when you Wait, talked about it. like this, stop it. I don't it. remember, you don't remember it. It was your, it was the baseball joke. Down. So you, yes, what? you were like, oh my God, I'm talking about like you, you were telling this story of like maybe one of the world series and you're like talking about the socks and everyone would like in New York, everyone would boo because they're thinking you're talking about the Boston Red Sox. And you were like, the Chicago White Sox. And everyone would just Chicago like lose their mind. Yes. I do remember yes. that. Yes. Oh my God. That was, that was my shameless. favorite that came one out all we, time. Do you know that came out because we were in Boston? Remember, we did Boston for a couple yes. weeks that year. And th- that joke sort of was born there uh, where I would say, go Sox! And the crowd would go, woo! Because it was Boston. <laughs> and then I would just go, yeah, Chicago White Sox. Yes. And then they just kind of, yeah, that, yes. was, just, that was shameless time filling, but you know, oh it was gosh. so much fun, so freeing. And I was never nervous about that moment. I sort of felt like, wow, I want to host a, I want to host a late night show now, <laughs> you know, kind of do. Kind yeah, of totally. 
But it was it was legit because oh it gosh. was the character. It was the character relishing in this this weird victory, his only victory, and we've got a, an audience full of people, and he's you know all of a sudden he's a star. He's on stage, so I felt like right. it was totally legit. He's accepting this award like it's an Oscar, you know, yeah. and, and stuff. And there's your audience right there. And it's, of course, it's all in his head. It's, it's all right. in his head. So um, I, I, I'm very, very But it's also it's, so fitting because of how, like, you know, he's kind of hard-headed for a lot of the show, your character. And it's really not like who he is because he really is this lovable guy and who, like, honestly, like, loves his kids and wants the best for them. So, like, he's kind of hard-headed, and this moment is kind of the time that you just get to, like, fall in love with your character. And then at, at the end of the scene, at the end of the show, when you, like, finally give in and Ralphie has his BB gun and everything, you're just like, see, I always knew, like, you know, he was a big softy underneath that mm-hmm. thick skin. Yeah, the poor guy is stuck. I mean, they're, they're living in yeah. hard times. You know, in a house that's fallen apart, he's got two kids who he doesn't really understand. He's got a wife who's just buried under housework and trying to keep her three children, meaning the two sons and her (laughs) baby husband, you know, under control. He's got a job he's not happy with. You know, the neighbors give him hell. The neighbor's dogs give him hell. The poor guy's just stuck. And it was such a pleasure to get to play a moment of release for him like that. And for him to sort of quietly, you know, this is all actor talk here, but that nice moment at the end that that we have that that where where he gives he gives Ralphie the gun that was just a a fun thing, and uh, yeah, so, so grim. And Eli, you can cut this if you wish uh, in the cutting room floor. But do you know that my own dad? This I'm serious. We're going to a dark place here. Do you know that on our opening night in Madison Square Garden, my dad died. Uh, he died oh. that day. I found out intermission of our opening night at Madison Square Garden. We'd already done the show, and he'd seen the show on Broadway and blah, blah, blah. But I found out intermission of opening night at Madison Square Garden that my father had passed away. And now I've got to go out on stage and do this whole father-son thing. Because, you know, the end of the show is sort of sweet. It's, you know, sweet. I tuck you guys. We, My mom and, I, mom and I tuck you guys in, you know, at the end. And right. The whole thing. And just try not. And we had to do press after that. And I was just like, I just wanted to go home and cry, you know. But um, I also felt like that show was such a gift because it was such a father-son story. Then my dad had loved the original film so much, and he was so proud getting to see me do it in New York, and he loved the show in New York and and everything. And uh, so I, that show was actually – I was so grateful to get to do such a sweet father-son story during that extremely sad few weeks of my life. Wow. I, I don't think I, I had ever realized that, but I did know that, like, you know, some shows throughout the run, I mean, obviously each performance is vastly different, but there were definitely, like, some shows that, like, I noticed that were were tougher, you know? Like, when we had the moments like that, and, you know, like, I could see you start to, like, tear up, and it was just an even sweeter, you know, like, moment. And I thought it was just, like, your character and everything. I mean, you're a great actor. I mean, hello, you've been in nine Broadway shows. So, like, I didn't know what was going on, but, wow, I can't believe, I I had never realized that that happened to you. Well, I'd like to think some of it was acting, but, yeah, that was certainly informed by... um... Yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty tough, uh, tough thing. But, you know, the great Aaron Dilley was there to hold my hand through the whole thing. And yeah. um, 
my amazing partner and uh, I, my family allowed us to have the funeral on a Monday so that we didn't have to miss a show. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah. Um, enough, of the sad stuff, enough of the sad stuff because, uh, you know, it, it, it is life is what it is and you just take every day and you're just grateful for every moment you get with those we love. But again, I was so grateful to have such a great, great show to, um, to, in, to live in and, and, and wrap myself up in during that uh, sad yeah. time. Well, happier thoughts here. Please. Uh, Chris's story, it's so funny because you're singing about these major awards and everything, but A Christmas Story, you've been in four productions and you've in almost every production and a lot of the different productions, you were nominated for major awards in like the different <laughs> productions. So like, did that kind of moment that you had with the audience and celebrating like the major award, did that kind of feel like real and you could like relate it to those moments that you kind of were going through? Oh, I don't know. Of course. Um, you know, it's always, always nice to be nominated, uh, yeah. or to be remembered. But, um, no, my, my, my thought during that was the Oscar awards, you know, let's, let's give them his version of the award ceremonies we all know and love. And of course they're all just that they're all just ceremony and silliness, but we sit down and watch them and get caught up in them anyway. Like we're watching all the right. Oscar nominated movies. Now what's going to win. Meanwhile, I can barely name two <laughs> of the 10 that were nominated last year because that's just the way it is. Right. But um, yeah, it was it was nice to be. Uh, I, I was more. I was thrilled the show got got recognized. The the only Christmas musical, holiday musical, to be nominated for best musical, and I was just that was I felt proud of that because again I feel a little ownership. I feel like I was in every production of the show from the original, and um, and I felt some pride in that, and like I'm part of that. I'm I'm absolutely part of why the show was succeeding absolutely and i mean you obviously were doing something right like after being in it for so many times and them continuously like asking you to come back like that's an honor alone and then to not only like feel that that is your role you know like that's so cool it's always nice to get the job but it's always nicer to be asked back always right Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay. Well, let's have some fun and let's talk about Anastasia Woo-hoo! because you played Vlad. Oh my God. Stop. This, this role was like made for you. This, you were hilarious in this and you got to play around with Caroline O'Connor on stage, which is the In Christmas Story, um, uh, the the great Caroline O'Connor, it was Miss Shields, and we had 
almost nothing to do together except hang out backstage right. in the scenes we weren't in together. Uh, but great friends right away. Love her so much. Been over to Australia to her home there. Uh, she's just a great hostess and uh, just a great hang. Just I, I, love I can't that. think of anyone better to have several glasses of wine with. Yes. So, uh, she's And now, now here we are in Anastasia getting to climb all over each other and uh, yeah. a lot of fun. And she was, just of course genius in the, in the role oh my god she's hilarious too so like being able to work off of that it, it makes everything so much easier yeah. um and it's so funny because you took the words right out of my mouth i was gonna mention that you guys didn't really have much uh shared stage stage time in a christmas story because yeah. she played the teacher so she was with the kids a lot um mm-hmm. and and so then you now you guys are able to like you know feed off of each other and do these incredible things. And you guys were just a fantastic duo in Anastasia. Um, Yeah, of course. Oh my God. So it seems like, I mean, just going through your resume, I mean, a Christmas story was a movie. Titanic was a movie. Anastasia was a movie. Like all of these movies that are turning into musicals. I love this um, connection that we're having, but Anastasia makes separates (laughs) itself because that was like a cartoon. Was there like another layer of like difficulty to bring characters to like life because it was a cartoon? Uh, or did you just like approach it like a regular show? Well, you always approach it like a regular show and, you know, with a different, because it was different script and some new songs and sort of the needs of the, some of the characters are, are different in this, but I'm also not 400 pounds. So um, they, right. but I wanted, I, I wanted to honor the look of the role. And so I asked for a lot of layers um, to, to widen me a bit. Um, and they weren't going to give me the little glasses. And I said, Oh, I'd really love the glasses. That's just even a nod to the original mm. uh, animated character. They said, okay, great. So I had glasses and it wound up being a blessing in disguise because um, I've, as, as you know, wearing the, especially in act one, the big crazy caveman wig and the big long beard and everything. Uh, <laughs> it got quite warm under all those layers of yeah. fur and everything. But because I had the prop glasses on, they put my mic on the end of my glasses. So I never, ever sweated out. Never, ever. Uh, wow. So that was good. But um, yeah, I, I tried to honor the, um, the flavor of Kelsey Grammer's performance in the film in terms of that sort of weary Eastern European sound who's like, you know, so I, I only watched it once before my audition. I hadn't seen the movie before that. I knew the story of the, you know, the actual Russian family and all that. But um, okay. so I, I went in for my audition, not to, again, not to imitate, but to offer a flavor with which they were at home and then uh, uh, bring myself uh, to that flavor, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the audiences went nuts for it. Um, I had no idea how many fans that film had because the film was sort of after my childhood that the movie came out in the nineties, I guess. And uh, okay. I was unaware of the legions of diehard fans that that movie has. And that there they all were every night at the stage door, hundreds and hundreds of screaming people who were just thrilled and many in tears that you know we did this version of their favorite movie that they apparently approve of and that was extremely rewarding and a great great cast loved every moment with all of them oh my god wait so funny enough that i i also like didn't know that that movie had such a incredible fan base and 
I had actually never seen Anastasia until they brought it to Broadway. And I was like, God, check it out, I guess. Uh Um, (laughs) So it's so interesting. Like, like you said, I feel like it really brought out this fan base that kind of was under the radar for a lot of it. And there, obviously, you know, you had those incredible moments at the stage door. Do you have like one of the a, a more like memorable one that you've <laughs> encountered? Well, I had two different young ladies faint on me, um, like literally on me. They had the like sort what? of barricade set up, and one girl just went forward, kunk, like on me. I'm like, um, no. security, but no, it was clear she was in distress, but she was fine. And, but my favorite, I think, well, there's so many gifts and they all follow us on Instagram and everything. Yeah. They knew my dogs and everything. They're just so sweet. Oh. And the art, I love the fan art. We put it all up in our hallway. The three boys, Derek, Ramon, uh, Ramin, oh my God, <laughs> it would kill me. Derek, Ramin, and I um, shared the one hallway uh, and we had all our fan art up and that was, that was fun. Um, oh. But uh, I had one girl showed up. And I was signing her thing and all of a sudden, uh, or signing her program. And all of a sudden I re- I realized, oh my God, she is wearing a t-shirt that has like the cutout letters that say, John Bolton is my spirit animal. No way. And I was like, what are you doing? And she just smiled at me and I was like, I have to get a picture. And uh, she, yes. she was just so sweet. And then we did our, um, we did that web series, uh, Royal Misfits. And then that got its own legion of fans. And we wrote all that ourselves and talk about not laughing. Oh my God. Oh, Christy, Derek, and I wrote the whole thing, you know, talk about not laughing. We literally would have like between shows to film an entire episode. So we try to do everything in one take. We're just laughing our asses off. Can't get through it. John, I literally watched them all for the first time this week. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, first of all, they blew up. They're like, all like have 100,000 plus views on YouTube. It's insane. And you mentioned Derek. So I wanted to mention this lovely rivalry that you kind of had going on with him, this playful rivalry. So you guys brought that, you guys wrote all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Was Harold Hill we're go just, off? We're just, that was hilarious. We just play heightened versions of ourselves, I guess. Uh, and a lot of things we would actually say, we would kind of mental note, oh, that'll be good for the series or whatever. So yeah, yeah we just tried to over, we just tried to concoct this sort of fake rivalry between oh us. um it's beautiful it's genius your harold hill show off was absolutely amazing that was my favorite one thank you oh my royal God. misfits yeah I, I i hope people haven't forgotten about it i think they're still out there um, but it's a fun series. There's, a, I think there's eight episodes and yes. there's a Christmas one. Oh my God. Those are hilarious. I can't believe that you guys wrote them. Yeah. That's, that makes it all like even better. Just knowing that you, that was totally like you, I thought it would may have been scripted or I, I don't know, no. like just. Well, when I around, say but... wrote it, we never sat down and like wrote it out. We just sort of went, okay, wait, how about this? And then I'll do this. And then you do that. And you said, then we, then out comes the camera and we would just do it. Yeah. I mean, these bag massagers, how you guys open it, like with the bag massagers, you, Christy and Derek, I was like, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> it was amazing. And I was so bummed. Like the first episode, I think you were like on vacation I was or on something. Vacation. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then in the second episode, you were like, Ramin happened to be on vacation, and you were like, oh, you know, some of us go to Cancun, and some of us go to to wherever you went, and I was like, that's <laughs> right. I was like, that's yeah. hilarious. That was such a, like a total like John comment, you know, like <laughs> just being a goofball. Thank you. It was so fun to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And and of course, like the memories, I'm sure, like just looking, being able to look back on those just is a new like memory. And, you know, usually those kind of are like the beginning of the run. So it brings the cast together in a way that they wouldn't have necessarily been brought together. Mm-hmm. So I, I love those watching those little backstage moments. Thank you. It was fun to do. You know, that show was just two very, very happy years. It was a, a yeah. lot of fun. Just a great company. The replacements were all great. You know, Vicki Lewis came in for Caroline, and of course I was concerned because Caroline and I had our whole thing, which was informed right. by years of friendship. But Vicki and I had done Damn Yankees together, um, and uh, and Vicki brought her own thing to it, and I was so – that was a blast in its own way, um, getting right. to play with, with Vicki. Loved every moment of that. Uh, she's a great kisser, by the way. And um, <laughs> Uh, um, and uh, Max von Essen was terrific and and all of our dowager empresses you know uh, Judy Kay Penny Full just it was a great building it was just the tone was set from the top with our director and stage manager and Christy who was just gold just spun gold to work with loved every moment with her and of course uh, the other Dimitri's uh, Zach Adkins Cody Simpson I just loved every moment and again we had like Derek and I had so much that we did together on stage and, you know, and Zach comes on, then Zach and I did our version of that friendship. And then Cody and I found our version of that friendship and um, they were all just so rewarding. So much fun. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Just, you get to play with so many amazing people. I mean, like, yeah, the original cast is like amazing, but even like the replacements and just like, I feel like the one thing that like myself and everyone listening has learned, like just when people do rotate in the, within the show, just to continue to have fun and find your own new things. Um, and I think that yeah. that's so important. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. And, and then, sorry, I, I want to mention one last thing before we, we go. You were most recently doing Hello Dolly with the Carolee Carmelo, who was my stage grandmother, and she was just recently on this podcast, so everyone listening already knows all about her. Um, what was that like to um, work with another like Broadway legend and like just being able to play and do a new show and do a, a tour? I believe this was your first like long running tour, right? That's right. I had toured before, but only briefly. Like with Christmas Tour, I did Annie for a little while, and I did uh, actually Damn Yankees on tour briefly. But uh, no, this was my first tour tour, like big tour. I loved every moment, every single yeah. moment with Carol Lee, with the rest of the cast. Carol Lee was just so – well, we both learned the show together. We were I was replacing the yes. great Louis Stadlin. She was replacing the amazing Betty Buckley. So, And we fortunately um, got a, a week with – Jerry's X, the the amazing, you know, God Jerry's X, uh, right. in addition to his wonderful assistant and uh, the dance captains in a studio in New York. Before we went joined the company, it wasn't just thrown on. We weren't just thrown on. 
Um, so we can, he encouraged us to, and we did come up with a lot of our own stuff. Of course, there were existing bits that had gone back to what even Bette Midler and David Ide Pierce had done uh, that they wanted yeah. to leave in the show. And we were very happy to honor that. But he did allow us to play and find our moments. And that was very flattering. Um, uh, neither one of us auditioned for it. Uh, so we were just thrilled really? to just be asked to do it. We were just like... Wow. So flattered to to be there. Um, apparently, was incredible. completely generous. Um, she was just an amazing, amazing scene partner. The most generous, warm, real, hilarious uh, scene yeah. I could ever imagine. And you know, it's called Hello Dolly. It's not called Hello Horace. But you know what? Right. She she let me do my stuff. She. She would let me, you know, find my little laugh here, find my little laugh here without trying to snuff anything out. I felt very right. welcomed and uh, um, and it was such a pleasure again to live inside such a well-written, beautifully crafted, brilliantly directed show for the, what did we do it for six or seven months we did it. Um, loved every single moment of that. I, I, I'd give anything yeah. to do it again. It was such a pleasure. Did now did you like leave the show quote unquote or like was it stop were you part of the uh, we had to stop. stop we had to stop yeah. uh, we were in Buffalo at gorgeous Shays Buffalo Theater we had done two performances or three maybe and then uh, things were tightening up there was no more stage door was not allowed we weren't allowed to meet anybody wow. or talk with anybody or sign any autographs or chat with anybody um, protocols were everywhere with hand sanitizer and everything. And then one night we were walking off the stage and Carolee and I end together and I walked, walked her off stage and I said, I think we just did our last show. And she says, I think so too. Wow. And with no chance to sort of say goodbye, you know, sometimes you have your last show, you sort of say goodbye to this moment. Then you say goodbye to that moment. You say goodbye to that. You know, we didn't get that. It didn't really dawn on us until the end. It's like, uh Oh, I think we're done. Now, of course, we would much rather the world be safer and and healthy than us get to do our right. show, you know. Um, so let's do what's best for the world here. But um, it was it was abrupt um, in uh, for all of us, yeah, for, for anybody. But, but you know, it just seemed it seemed abrupt, particularly because it was something we loved doing so much. Right. Yeah. Well. That, yeah, I, I can't imagine how hard that must have been. But it's interesting, too. Like, you know, there are already, like, just thinking back on it. I mean, I can't believe it was a year ago. But just to say, like, there were already protocols in place. And I wonder, like, you know, we were all still learning. And I wonder if, uh, you know, they'll keep some of those protocols that uh, were in place when Broadway hopefully and eventually does reopen. I worry. I worry, Eli. I'm really concerned that the theaters themselves, meaning like the people who run all the Broadway theaters, aren't doing anything or, or much of it. I don't yeah. know. Maybe they are. But I, 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 what a wonderful opportunity this past year has been to change the antiquated ventilation systems there in all those theaters that are blowing Right. And mold. It's like how many people are always backstage half up, hacking up a lung because the air is just gross or right. mold in your dressing room. And I love these old theaters and I'd give anything to be in one right now. You know, I love them all. They're all special and yes. and beautiful, amazing ghosts filled with all love and excitement. But 
what an opportunity, what a missed opportunity this will be if they don't grab this time and fix this as, as a step toward keeping these places healthy work environments for all of us. And the, the seats are so close together. Yeah. You know, I think all we can do is hope that people get their vaccines and that, that um, sanity and safety prevails. Yeah, for sure. Well, one last question before we wrap it okay. up. Uh, you've been in nine Broadway shows uh, and you're going for double digits pretty soon. Your your double digit birthday on Broadway, I guess you could say. Um, do you have your eyes set on like a particular show that you would do your like big 10th Broadway show in? Or is it just like, you know, at this point, it's like, get me in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, well, whenever someone says, what's your dream job? I say the next one. Um, Cause you never know yeah. what it's going to be. Something could just fall in your lap or you, you know, you, you never know. You truly never know. Um, but you know, I'd like to originate something and maybe something that isn't based on a movie. <laughs> I love that. I've been very proud yeah. of all of the ones I've done. But I'd love to do something original. That's like a brand new something. Also, I've done a lot of sort of what would be called traditional old school style shows. I think I'd like to do something a little, edgy, oh, okay. a little something a little edgier, maybe where I get to sing like I'm an Aerosmith or something. <laughs> to name one of my favorite yeah. uh you know um yeah i just as long as i just keep working um I'll, I'll be happy you know i've done television has come back a bit i just shot a couple episodes of the blacklist i'll have i'll yeah. be on the new season of evil i have a new uh, an ep- one episode but a good one of that that's coming out on cbs um, so TV is starting to come back and again, with extremely rigid protocols before I shot either show, there were days in a row of testing mm. and that you're paid for, but you have to go and get tested and then you get tested again before you're fitting, you get tested again before you shoot. Um, everyone's in, everyone's in masks. When I shot evil, um, my scene was with the scenes were with the, the wonderful lead of the show, Katya Herbers, but she, we were both in masks. I didn't even see her face until the cameras were no rolling way. and we were doing our scene for the cameras. Wow. Um, because, because the protocol is so strict and as it should be, um, let's, uh, let's all stay safe and sane and let's, let's make the world come back slowly. But it, it's been such a pleasure to get to, to go back to work a bit uh, on television because Everyone's just so happy to be there. Everyone's just, everyone's in a good mood. They're like, I don't care if we have to test. We're working. We're all just happy. Uh, yeah. Well, I love that. And tell everyone where they can follow you and, and where they can keep up to date with all of these incredible projects that you're working sure. on. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, my Instagram is at It's John Bolton. Um, I-T-S-J-O-H-N-B-O-L-T-O-N. My Instagram is the same. Uh, it's John Bolton. And uh, that's pretty much as exciting as it gets. If you want to see pictures of shows I've done or my dogs or my house or my partner yeah. and my friends, then, you know, check that out. Uh, but I love hearing from the fans um, and uh, and I love the fan art. So keep it coming. Oh, well, what a wonderful way to end the show. John, it was so great to catch up with you again. Uh, Thank you for doing this. This was a blast. And I'm so glad that I got to ask all of these questions. Uh, Just even after. Yeah, thank you so much. That makes me makes me so happy. I'm so glad that we were able to reconnect because I want you to know you're 
you were great in a Christmas story. You were you were just a little marvel. I remember Aaron and I uh, in rehearsal when when you would get your crack at at, at Ralphie, just turning to each other and going, "Oh my God, he's so good!" <laughs> you know, you're, oh. you're just hilarious. You're great. You're a terrific actor, and I'm so proud of you and everything you've done and everything you're doing. And everything you're going to do, just don't forget about your old man. Yeah, no, definitely not. Thank you so. You don't know how much that means to me. I was, I was just a little kid in a Christmas story. I didn't know what I was doing. To think of performing in a Madison Square Garden was like terrifying to me because I'm from Pittsburgh and I know like the Rangers play there and everything like that. So like I was like, yes, I got to like be where the Rangers are, you know. Um, and it was like all terrifying, and it was like my first show in New. York um so just to like hear that was is is really great to hear so thank you um and I can't thank you enough for doing this today my pleasure (laughs) okay have a good one John yeah go Pens take about John Bolton oh my gosh literally he is like a Broadway encyclopedia in so many ways he's literally worked with some of the like the biggest Broadway legends literally it's incredible. He's had an incredible career that's kind of flown under the radar in a lot of ways. I really think he's one of like the hidden gems of Broadway when it comes to like performers. For those of you who saw him in Anastasia, you absolutely know what I'm talking about because his performance in that was absolutely amazing and hilarious and moving all at the same time. He's fantastic and uber talented. I was so excited to hear his stories and who he's worked with and those stories of like Titanic and all of these new shows that we got to talk about. It was lovely. So thank you, John Bolton, for coming on this week. Uh, It was a pleasure to talk to my old man again. And uh, yeah, you know, he said something really interesting (laughs) in the episode. And while I was interviewing him and like while we were talking, I was like, oh my God, this is perfect for the Triple E segment. So let's turn it over to Eli's entertainment experience. So John Bolton had pointed out that, you know, when you're on stage, you like to have fun with the people on stage. It's totally like in Finding Neverland, like for those of you who saw it, it's totally like play is totally what like, the show overall is but like it's hidden and play just lets it come that come out and like lets the audience see it so we like to fool around a lot on stage we all have our moments with each individual castmate that we like look at each other or we do a secret like handshake or we do a secret like oh wink or or silly face or whatever it may be there's always like something right and if you don't do it you're like oh my god like you know like superstitions you're like oh my goodness the show is gonna be ruined now the rest of my show and so like they're at very specific parts of the show so that's the thing like you have to do it in a way that it's not gonna mess anybody up and you're not gonna like distract anybody well when you're new to the world of professional theater like i was on my first tour of mary poppins I go on in my first show and, you know, like I'm having a the time of my life. It's literally like one of my favorite memories of any show that I've ever did. <laughs> and like, you know, the people that I've been in rehearsals with and the people uh, who I've gotten close with and everything like that already, 
were kind of like, you know, giving me the cross eyes and making silly faces and all of these things. So I'm like, oh my God, like, that's so fun. Like, I love that. It's a great idea. Like, I guess it's something you do. I'm totally going to do it. So I begin to do it and I like start to have my little moments with castmates and everything like that. And I, I noticed that I didn't have a moment like that with the person who played my dad in Mary Poppins. And so one show, I am like, oh, this is great. Like, I, I totally got it. You know, this is one of those scenes that we're on stage. I'm like facing stage left. So the audience can't really see my face. So if I subtly do something, I can totally get away with it. So in comes the first scene that I had with my dad in Mary Poppins, where I'm able to like actually do something fun. And that's the bank scene. And for those of you who are Mary Poppins fans, the bank scene happens to be a pretty serious uh, scene as uh, he's the bank teller and, you know, like his that's his job and everything like that. So he takes it very seriously and, you know, like he, he can't be embarrassed or anything like that. And it's this like serious scene. And one show and, and I say one show because it lasted one show. I look at my dad. And I go cross-eyed on him. And as soon as I do it, this man literally looks at me like, like he's lost. Like all of a sudden, his whole being was like going crazy. And, you know, he was kind of like getting nervous and everything like that. And I was like, oh my God. So for as we continue the scene, his line comes up and he totally doesn't say it. He doesn't say his line. He doesn't say he doesn't say that his next line either and then the following line he like starts to like pick it back up but he says the wrong line and i'm just like oh my god i hope i that wasn't me like oh my god like i totally think that i'm okay this is just something that you do maybe he just wasn't ready maybe i should have told him it's whatever it'll be okay and it'll be our new thing well after the show i get called to stage management they ask me if I happen to try to be distracting to his performance. And I was like, oh, no, absolutely not. I, I think I went, like, cross-eyed on him in, like, the bank scene. But, like, other than that, totally not. And they were like, you what? And I was like, <gasps> I was like, I don't know what to say. I was at a total loss for words. And I was like, I went cross-eyed on him. And they were like, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what have I done? So long story short, I was no longer allowed to do cross-eyes or do anything distracting towards his performance. Um, he reported me to stage management. <laughs> and yeah, I but I continued all my fun little moments that I had with the rest of the cast um, after the performance. At, like my next performance and when I noticed the cast was like still doing it to me and everything I was like oh just to let you know like I, I don't think I can do that anymore because I got yelled at and they were like oh no you're fine like I'm not gonna tell anybody we can have our moments no one's gonna notice no one's gonna care it's okay and I was like oh, okay like it was like a sigh of relief and like everything like went on as 
as usual. However, I was never able to have a fun moment with my dad on stage because I was too scared to ever start another one. So that's a little bit about Eli's entertainment experience. And I know that that dragged a little bit, but uh, it's totally worth the story. It's literally one of my favorite yet absolutely terrifying moments of my entire career. Um, it was a blast to share that story and get that one off my chest because I was waiting to tell that one. I just was waiting for the time. And when John Bolton kind of mentioned it, I was like, oh my God, I have to tell my story. So what's happening this week in the world of Broadway? Let's talk about it. So as I mentioned before, I will say it again, Becca, the benefit for honoring Rebecca Luker and raising money for ALS is on May 4th at 7.30, where tickets start at $20. So please, please, please go consider that. Just look up uh, Becca. It's You can find stuff on Playbill. You can find it on Broadway World. You can find it anywhere. Uh, and uh, you can get your tickets and uh, be there May 4th at 7.30. It's going to totally be worth it. Um, but there's also some other fun events happening. So tonight, Thursday, April 29th, the George Street Playhouse Virtual Gala Benefit will be... Um, premiering at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's going to be including Jeremy Jordan, Jackie Burns, Bobby Conti Thornton, David Hyde Pierce, Mary Testa, and so many more uh, to appear in this annual gala supporting New Jersey's George Street Playhouse, which if you live in New York or New Jersey, I'm sure you've heard of. Go check that out. That's going to be a really fun event. I love J Jeremy Jordan. I love Jackie Burns. Uh, David Hyde Pierce. Uh, I mean, their lineup is incredible. Uh, it's going to totally be worth seeing them and having a fun night with them and raising money for a wonderful theater company. And we also have on Sunday, May 2nd, Broadway Acts for Women. I love this. I'm so excited for this. Uh, Sarah Bareilles, Elizabeth Banks, Annette Benning, Reed Burney. Oh my God, love him. Danny Burstein. Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Montego Glover, Kelly O'Hara, Jason Isaacs, Leslie Margarita, Mandy Patinkin, and more will be appearing in this night that supports and raises funds for women's reproductive health. Um, so that's a very, very important cause, as all of these are. I love just seeing what everybody's doing and coming together while they can, and they're not doing eight shows a week, and they can continue to warm their voices by doing these events and not killing it after doing eight shows. So, I mean, I, come on. It's a star-studded cast. It's going to be supporting women's reproductive health. It's Broadway Acts for Women. It's a yearly uh, celebrity karaoke extravaganza. Um, and the ticket buyers can bid on which song each performer sings live. So they have no plan coming into this benefit. Like they have no clue what they're about to sing. So you all get to decide what your favorite Broadway stars are going to sing. And uh, you can put them on the spot. And Martha Plimpton will be hosting and producing it this year. So I'm very excited for that. It's going to be so fun. I hope you all come up with the silliest, silliest songs for your favorite Broadway stars to sing. So that about wraps it up for this week. I'm so, so excited for next week's episode. It's one of our biggest guests yet. It's one of our biggest 
it's literally our biggest week ever. Uh, it's going to be our one year anniversary. So uh, just stay tuned. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you all for listening this week with my one of my favorite people ever, John Bolton. Get vaccinated, stay positive, all the things. And yeah, let's keep on celebrating Broadway and keeping the, the magic of it alive. I'll see you all next week. For this episode's Curtain Call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Tessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com slash TAB. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe on the platform that you're currently listening to this on. Also, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at TakeAboutPodcast. TakeAbout's logo is designed by Giselle Bustos, and the music is by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon. Bye, everyone. Hope to see you next week. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.